loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Scream Team reunions. We're talking garbage shit CGI. And we're talking Judy fucking Greer. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in my entire life. Come on now. <laughs> uh, it's a bit harsh, but I, I I have three pages of notes on this movie. And I think every time Christina Ricci said something, I put Jesus fucking Christ as dialogue. So <laughs> it ain't great. No. So, <laughs> yeah, we're talking cursed. But before we get into that, we do have a guest today. Uh, everyone, you may know him as the creator of Demon Hunter. Please welcome Tim O'Leary. Hey, what's up, guys? Oh, oh, look at that rousing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> I was standing. You just couldn't tell. Ah, got it. Okay. Of course. <laughs> How are you doing? Are you excited that you had to watch this movie for us? I, because I know that you guys really do your homework when you watch movies. I watched it twice in the what? past 72 right. hours. Once <laughs> just to watch it and then once to take notes. But the first time I watched it, it was my husband and me. We were having a few glasses of wine and that was a little bit more fun than when i was really sitting down to take notes no i think that's i think that's why i had over like three pages of notes because yeah i basically got off a shift last night and i came home and i opened a bottle of wine immediately Mm -hmm. and i finished it during the movie (laughs) (laughs) just a psa horror queers we condone responsible adult drinking habits well i was not driving while i drank it and i was in the comfort uh the comfort of my own home so yeah, Are you sure you weren't flying during this movie? Because <laughs> so much is happening. There is just so much craziness in this film. Oh my god. Oh, this movie was a lot slower than I remembered. It has. Yeah. Dude. It yes. really does like crawl along, doesn't it? And all of that relationship drama with Christina Ricci and Jonathan Joshua Jackson. Joshua yeah. Jackson? Yeah. Is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday Adams and Pacey. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I shall be referring to him as Pacey for the right. rest of the episode. So sure. You may join me if you like. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yes. We are talking Wes Craven's Cursed. <laughs> the movie, not yes, the production. it was. Boom, bada, bing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So yeah, this is our second week of camp, ladies and gentlemen, and what we apparently are, we are cursed with is watching movies with very troubled production histories or release mm-hmm. histories or something. That will continue. It will, it will continue. <laughs> <laughs> we pre-recorded the next couple episodes and um, pretty much everything has had a shitty production history. So it fits into camp pretty well. But yeah, this was released on February 25th, 2005. This movie was my 16th birthday weekend movie. Oh, Aww. stop bragging. All right. I know. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Just means that Trace was undergoing the change. Oh, he was cursed from that moment cursed. on. <laughs> oh my god. No. Some of the lines, like how they shoehorned the word cursed into this movie. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's so, so bad. Times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll get to Mr. Williamson, and we'll dole out his punishment accordingly. Uh, <laughs> distributed by Dimension Films, and uh, you might as well just say this movie was co-directed by Bob Weinstein, because he had a lot to do with... Boo, hiss. Everything changes. about this movie's... Fuck up, yeah. Yeah, this movie is what it is because of the Weinsteins. Absolutely. And then I... So I watched the unrated... Or the, I'm sorry, the R-rated cut, um, which was 99 minutes, but the PG-13 cut is 96 minutes. Uh 
Joe, I know you you watched the PG thirteen cut. Tim, do you know which one you watched? I watched the one on Hulu, so I'm assuming that might be the PG thirteen cut because I think it was only ninety six minutes. So when Shannon Elizabeth dies, does she just get pulled <laughs> off screen? I know. Um, which by no, I had to call her Shannon Elizabeth because I didn't know her name. Like every character that dies in this movie, you find out their name after they die, like in a news broadcast. Right, and the thing is, like the names are so generic. Oh, they're like, so boring. Like yeah. in Scream, like you don't forget Tatum. You you know, and Sydney is original enough that you remember it. Guys, how do we forget Becky? Yeah, Jimmy, Becky. Like it's just there's Brooke. There's no way to like remember anybody's yeah, name. Yeah, I think yeah. Maya's Jenny. I think, but I mean, I I, I wrote him. I wrote it. I was like, what? What is her name? And then like her, you know, obituary came on screen at the news, and I was like, oh, Jenny. Okay, right. well, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Well, this is a really subtle class critique about the Hollywood elite system and how they're all like really generic and identical so they have these really boring names guys they call a white girl becky <laughs> you actually have to wonder why kevin williamson wanted to make it like a hollywood satire considering the the quote-unquote failure of scream 3 i know it wasn't it was Aaron Kruger's script for Scream 3, but, you know, maybe he was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You didn't wait for me I'm to write Scream 3. Own. Yeah, I'm going to make my own Hollywood satire. It was very strange. And, and like, the other thing is that Hollywood was the setting, but it wasn't, like, a character in the no. movie. I mean, with the exception of, I guess, Tinsel, and her job <laughs> was working for the, you know, Craig Kilborn. Uh, which, by the way, remember Craig Kilborn? I forgot that was a person that existed until I oh, saw this movie. Yeah, yeah, I knew that name, but I didn't know what he looked like. So when he was on screen, I didn't realize that was Craig Kilborn. Yeah, I, I have vague memories of him. I'm pretty sure he did The Daily Show before Jon Stewart. I can't recall. I'll look it up. We'll look it up. <laughs> the fascinating thing, though, with that is, though, so she's working on the Craig Kilborn show, but as we will discuss at length, this movie was delayed many, many times. And so by the time the movie was actually released in February of 05, Kilborn had already left the show and had been replaced by Craig Ferguson. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, he was also on The Daily Show, though, just to confirm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, though, this script was written in August of 2000. Wow. Yeah. I feel like Kevin Williamson saw Scream 3 and he was like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> I should have been able to do this. Well, remember that... If in his initial treatment, so when he wrote Scream, he did a treatment for two and three. So he he would have had the idea of it setting being set in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So okay. it's entirely possible that, yeah, when he didn't actually get to write that script for Scream 3, he was like, well, I'll just put it into this other movie that I'm going to do with Wes Craven. It also makes sense that now that I know that it was written in 2000, a lot of that tracks in terms of the casting. Because it's Joshua Jackson, and originally it was Skeet Ulrich, and yeah. Shannon Elizabeth, and all these kind of stars from the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. That, that, maybe that'll be a good segue before we even get into the reception. I mean, do we want to talk about this, like, what it was supposed to be before we go through your plot, Joe? Like, before we oh, go Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, give us the big production rundown, because that'll be half this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just kind of breeze through it. But yeah, the budget for this movie was $38 million. I feel like that wasn't the original budget. No, <laughs> it had to have been lower. When yeah. you had to reshoot 90% of your movie, yeah. the budget goes up. Yeah, okay, so brief timeline, August of 2000, script is written. October 2002, so over two years later, Bob Weinstein announces that Curse would reinvent the werewolf genre. <laughs> <laughs> Craven would direct, and it was going to be released in August of 03, so less than a year later. Which seems reasonable given the kind of film it is, so this timeline seems doable at mm -hmm. this point. Right. 
They start filming in March of 2003. Basically, they're filming for a couple months, and then, yeah, they have 90% of the movie done, and Bob Weinstein's like, I don't like this, rewrite it. And I so, did Kevin Williamson do the rewrites? I actually didn't even notice if that was a thing. I mean, I'm assuming he did. Uh, I think reports vary. It's very unclear. All I know for sure is that Wes Craven didn't direct all the reshoots. Oh, God. Who did direct the reshoots? Do we know? They haven't said. Uh, So it was the Weinsteins. (laughs) Or like a hack a B-level director that they brought in off the bus. Right, right, right. I wish the the DVD, because there's a Blu-ray of this that exists, but I think it's out of print, but it's also only the PG-13 cut, so I had to buy the unrated DVD. There's no commentary, um, except for like... There's commentary on, like, select scenes. I don't think it's with Craven because I'm pretty sure Craven was, like, done oh, with yeah. this movie. Oh, yeah. He was like, fuck your mother. I'm not talking <laughs> about this again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But in Williamson's original script, so the original plotline had three strangers brought together by a car accident in the Hollywood Hills and the subsequent attack of a werewolf. You had Ellie Hudson, Christina Ricci, Vince Winston, <laughs> Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> oh, my God. And Jimmy Meyer was Jesse Eisenberg. Um, and so Skeet Ulrich was going to be the character who was, like, in the Shannon Elizabeth role where, like, he was trapped in the car. I don't think he was going to die, though. No, because the only clip, of course, that has survived is that E.T. footage, yes. which shows him and Christina Ricci in action, presumably later in the film. Yes. And so they did all this. They had, like... The list of actors that were cut out of this film is insane. So, not only Skeet Ulrich, but also Mandy Moore, who Maya replaced. Right. Omar Epps was in this. Ileana Douglas. Heather Langenkamp. Yep. Scott Foley, Robert Forster, and Corey Feldman were all in this movie at some point. So, who wants to bet that Scott Bayo replaced Corey Feldman? Oh, yes. Yeah. That must be it. Yeah. 100%. Right. Although, I, I tried to figure out who Heather Langenkamp would have been playing. Like, would she have just have been around the office or something? Well, like, I, I know, because, like, I mean, like, Lance Bass is in this movie for a hot second. That was oh my fun. Oh, God. That, that was like, <laughs> oh, hello, 2003. Good to see you again. <laughs> that was before he came out, right? Oh, yes. yeah. Like, yeah. that's why he's there with his mom. <laughs> Oh, and this huge entourage of, like, male-female couples that he's not a part of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I wonder if Heather Lankin would have played just, like, herself, like, in a quick little, like, Could cameo, be. you know? Yeah. Or she's, like, the owner of Tinsel or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember there when there was that scene when in the beginning when Ellie and Jake are in Tinsel when they're sort of setting it up. And they were looking at each other and framed in the background was the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street house with like a mannequin of Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was, yeah. There, the, the production design of this movie, <laughs> some of this shit is so on the nose, it is insane. Like besides like the constant Wolfman statue in the background. <laughs> yes. But like even down to that fucking Little Red Riding Hood cuckoo clock. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Get back to the production history. We'll get into it. Okay. So, so yeah, th- this is the original version. Like, um, the the opening of the movie with um uh, Maya and Shannon Elizabeth on the boardwalk that was actually like gonna be later in the movie, but after the reshoots, they made it the first scene because nothing opens a film quite like a psychic reading that turns into absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't catch this, but apparently, when um Shannon Elizabeth is calling for Maya's character, she's actually calling for Ulrich's character Vince, but they dub over it with Jenny. Oh, oh my god. god. That's amazing. <laughs> Everybody go back and look. Yeah, so they're filming this movie. They're almost done. Weinstein's like, no, rewrite it. So they postpone filming for a year. Well, because I think at that point people 
started to drop out mm-hmm. and they were like well shit what are we gonna well they were done like it's like mandy moore had finished her scenes i think i mean obviously i mean if she has the Maya role she dies in that parking garage elevator but basically i went they had to rewrite it do the reshoots and basically when they scheduled the reshoots all these people had scheduling conflicts because they're working right. <laughs> and they thought they were done because they were in demand in 2003 <laughs> i mean mandy moore is still in demand uh skid rich I mean, he's on Riverdale, I guess. <laughs> oh, and I also, I just realized Mandy Moore originally and Milo and Tamilia, who are both on This Is Us, were mm-hmm. in this movie together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. we will have plenty of things to say about Milo and Tamilia in this movie. Because, oh yeah, he's the... So, we always like to speculate about homo-repressed bullies in the movies that we watch, but in this mm-hmm. one, it's very explicit, a it's homo-repressed true. bully. Yeah. <laughs> Progress. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, filming's postponed for a year. And they get a new plot, they do all these reshoots, and they filmed a new ending. But then Weinstein told Craven he didn't like the new ending, leading to another ending where Jake and, uh, attacks Ellie and Jamie in their home, which is, the, of course, the one that we see. And I read that there were continuity errors, and I was like, I think the continuity error, though, is just that it's very clear up until that last scene that he's a good guy. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or meant to be, because yeah. he's kind of super bland and a terrible boyfriend. But yeah, he's right. not a killer. And, like, his first three appearances in the movie were, like, where he pops up out of nowhere and it's terrifying. So it's, like, obviously it was so heavy-handed that it's he's supposed to be a red herring. But it wasn't even done well so that when he is the bad guy, it was satisfying. It was just so clunky and obnoxious. It was really weird because whenever um, the the climactic battle in Tinsel happens, like, and, like, Ellie dives under the the closing, like, metal shutter gate, Mm -hmm. I was, like there's still 30 minutes left of this movie. That's what I was thinking when I watched it the second time. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, because you're like, all right, let's wrap this shit up. I will say that was a good shot when she rolls under the thing and then she slowly stands up because it's like, okay, that's, you know, I enjoy this. It's a little scream queenie, but I I, I like it. But yeah, um, she's badass. Yeah, there are a couple of like directing choices. And again, whether it's Craven or some hack, I don't know. Uh, that I did like. I, I like the bathroom sequence. Um, I mean, not the CGI. Oh, actually, sorry. Speaking of CGI. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Finish your production history, um, bitch. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, so yeah, Rick Baker, fa- famed special effects artist Rick Baker, did the werewolf effects for the original version of the film. But once the reshoots were ordered, Baker's effects were just deleted and KMB had to take over. But even most of their work didn't make it into the final film because they thought the effects didn't look good. Um, Weinstein and Miramax thought that. So they added a lot of CGI into the film to cover up the practical effects, including the death scenes, which, um, Tim, what I was going to ask you is if how you can tell if you watch the R-rated cut. Oh, okay. When Shannon Elizabeth's character dies um, in the PG-13 cut, she is just taken off screen and disappears. In the R-rated cut, uh, her upper torso is thrown at Christina Ricci, <laughs> and it's just the top half of her body, and she's like, has her mouth frozen, and like, or her face is frozen, in like a look of terror, and she's crawling through the leaves with her intestines hanging Okay, out. so, I-, I didn't see that, and I'm shocked that there's something about this movie that I want to see. Because I want to see yeah. that. That actually sounds yes, awesome. Yes, I've, I've seen both versions, and yeah. it's definitely worth tracking down the R-rated cut, because the uncut, or, sorry, the, what is it, PG-13? Is mm-hmm. that, I can't keep track of your dumb rating system, so. <laughs> well, because you like to say PG a lot, and I'm like, Joe, that means it's for families. <laughs> but, what, all right, wait, so, so they, they get rid of Baker's effects, then fall of 04. So, you know, we're like six months before the movie's supposed to come out. 
then Dimension goes, let's cut the film down to PG-13 rating, which also pissed Wes Craven off because he was contracted to make an R-rated film. So I, I mean, this, I know it's cliche, but this movie was cursed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's... Uh, and that's kind of all I have. I have a couple cast and crew reactions to it. Um, supposedly, the editor, Patrick Lussier, does have the original cut. Well, that bitch is famous now. He can leak it. Come on. Well, yeah. So that's the thing. He says whoever owns the rights to the film is not doing anything about the possibility of releasing all these versions, despite many Wes Craven's fans who keep asking for those. I gotta ask y'all, though. Mm-hmm. So it is high, because we like to, you know, obviously we hate the Weinsteins, and whenever a movie has this Troubled production history, you know, we like to believe that, well, the original cut must have been amazing, and then, you know, this the studio is just terrible. It's possible the original cut of this movie wasn't good. Oh, totally. 100%. Mm-hmm. I tend to look, I have no idea which scenes Craven directed and which ones he didn't, but there's a lot in this script that it feels like Williamson wrote, and he was reaching, and it's just not great work, and... We can maybe hang it on the idea that there were rewrites that he didn't contribute to, but a lot of it does sound like him. He ha- he knocked some movies out of the park, right? Scream, and I loved The Faculty. Mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer, but like we've all seen Teaching Mrs. Tingle, oh, that's and that what movie, I was bring up. <laughs> that movie is a piece of shit. It like, was, let's be honest, it is the worst movie that I've seen four times. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I've seen it a couple times. I remember thinking in the end with the crossbow is really fun, and then the girl that plays the best friend is really, really she good. She is cute. I actually like her. I don't know that actress's name, but I do remember liking her. I think she like quit acting after that movie. Kevin Williamson probably scared her. No, off. no, she's in. She's in at least one other thing. Yeah, I'll look her it, up. it's just one of those movies where it's like I, I think, like okay, it cannot be as bad as I remember, so I'll watch it again, and then you just go, no, it, it yep, it is bad. It is as bad as I remember. You know, I haven't seen it recently. I don't. I don't remember thinking it was terrible, but it's just very uh, well. That that's, that that was a, a Columbine effect, though, because it was supposed to be killing Mrs. Tingle, right. and it was gonna be rated R, and then Columbine happened, and then it was like downplayed, and so any of the more macabre like stuff that was gonna be in it was like totally removed. Mm, interesting. And one thing too, so with because uh, yeah, we discussed. You know, Wes Craven has ba- well as has basically had. Disown this movie. Sorry, he's dead. Yeah. Rip. But I didn't. Like, so did y'all ever see that movie Pulse? Uh, the the remake of Cairo that has Kristen Bell in it, the like, J horror movie. Doesn't it also have Joshua Jackson? Jackson, or is that Joshua Shutter? Jackson? <laughs> that Shutter. But fun fact: Craven co-wrote that screenplay, and he was meant to direct it. He was meant to direct it, and it was going to be in two thousand three. But lo and behold, that's when the reshoots for this had to take place. So he had to like pull the plug on Pulse. And then go do these reshoots for a movie he'd already filmed. Oh, no. That must have (laughs) chapped his ass. Yeah. And that's also why Pulse is... Because Pulse also has a similar issue with production. But yeah, like some guy came in and rewrote his script. So he has a co-screenwriting credit. But it's like whatever that movie is, like isn't his film. Mm -hmm. Mm. No, what's shocking too is that after all of this, he still went back and made Scream 4 with them. Yeah. Yeah. And then the same fucking thing happened on Scream 4. (laughs) Well, and you're also even surprised that Williamson went back to it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think, I, I don't think he would at this point, because, yeah, I think, because it w- also wasn't Williamson's script rewritten by Aaron Kruger a little bit on Scream it 4? It was, from what I understand, the, his original vision for Scream 4 was um, what he repurposed into the following. For the following. Yeah, so that it was going to be a cult of people that were following the killer, as opposed to what we ended up seeing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I did not like the following, so... Oh, the following is terrible. 
Yeah, it's really bad. I, but yeah. so that might have been a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay, that's your production history. Really quick on reception, and then we'll go into the plot. But um, I mean, you know, the plot—it's fucking werewolves. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this movie opened at number four with nine point six million dollars. I contributed to that gross. Hey, I did. Same sixteenth birthday, dude. I went to go see it. A domestic gross of nineteen point three million dollars with an international gross of ten point three. So you're looking at a worldwide total of twenty nine point six million dollars on a thirty eight million dollar budget. Not good. Yeah, this movie flopped hardcore. Reception is negative across the board, 17% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average score of 3.47 out of 10. Audiences give it 30%, with a score of 5.3 out of 10. Oh, oh, oh. Joe, I sent you this when I found this mm-hmm. out. I don't know if you read it. So, Metacritic score of 31 out of 100, but an audience, like a user score, of 90 out of 100. <laughs> what? Based on 230 ratings. And I was like, is this a joke? It's a joke we're playing on ourselves currently, yes. And yeah, you know, Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson, Marco Beltrami returns to do the score. He did the score for all the Scream movies, and uh, it sounds very much like the scream score oh yeah this is scream with werewolves or so people thought it was going well, to be it wants to be scream with werewolves yes yeah i think um patrick lucier the editor i think he also edited the scream movies i could be wrong i might be wrong but um look i can't keep looking shit up because i'm i'm already looking up that girl from teaching mrs tingle p.s she went on to do a bunch of television including medium yay oh good go. for her okay. Also, sorry, I had this noted down, but yes, Patrick Lucy edited New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn, Scream 1 through 4, Halloween H2O, and Red Eye before going on to direct Wes Craven Presents Dracula 2000. Oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> that is such a fucking stay tuned and a half because I need to talk about vitamin C. Uh, yes. He directed Dracula 2000, 1, 2, and 3. Oh my god. God, I didn't even know there were sequels. Was it? There are! Gerard Butler was Dracula, right? In Dracula 2000? Yes. Yeah, okay. All I remember from that movie is Jennifer Esposito telling some guy that she could see the outline of his cock in his pants. And Trace was an instant fan. (laughs) Instant fan. No, I love Jennifer Esposito. Do you use that as like a pickup line now? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I can see the outline of your cock in your pants. It's great. It really, it gets me a lot of, uh, it gets me a lot of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Lucy also went on to go d- uh, direct My Bloody Valentine 3D and Drive Angry, both of which are quite fun. Oh, that's how I knew him. Okay, sorry. Yes, and it's great. So. <laughs> Still working on those Joe. transitions, eh? <laughs> I know. What's this about, Joe? Plot summary. Here we go. It's so long considering that there's nothing that happens in this movie, so. I mean, things happen. It's just. Yeah, they're just there. <laughs> they, things happen. That's literally the plot summary in short version. <laughs> things happen. That's the tagline for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Cursed. Things happen. Things happen. Okay. And so, then don't happen. <laughs> and then nothing happens of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So after a non-starter opening in which girlfriends, Jenny, Maya, which is so not helpful. Maya, you need a last name. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Maya. Jenny Maya. <laughs> And Becky, Shannon Elizabeth, visits psychic Zella, Portia de Rossi, who, girl. She's having fun in her two scenes. She's like, I was in Scream 2. That's why I'm also here. (laughs) I think she just enjoyed that paycheck. (laughs) Yeah. So, Zila, who warns of blood and death in their future. So, after all that shit is put aside, we are introduced to our sibling protagonists. High school loser Jimmy, Jesse Eisenberg, and his big sister Ellie, Christina Ricci. She of the six-finger forehead. 
You know, okay, you, you were complaining about her hair on Twitter, and I actually think it looks okay in this movie when it's down. It looks okay in some scenes, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not willing to go all the way. I won't commit to that statement. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's very beautiful, but she looks... Oh, she's gorgeous. She has a, a, a particular look. She's unusual looking, which is probably why she's so beautiful. I did make jokes on Twitter that she should also have publicly, maybe physically attacked the stylist on this film, because whoever did the wardrobe for her, it's like, hey, how much can I do to emphasize the fact that you're super fucking short? Because I'm just going to put you in really long dresses all the time. So you look <laughs> four feet tall. And they were always um, like mortician dresses it was she was always wearing all black too so it just kind of makes her look like a little tiny mortician yeah like whenever her co-worker kyle who we'll get to in a moment whenever he compliments her, he's like is that michael rosenbaum whenever he's like oh wow you're dressing super sexy you really changed it up i'm like a she looks exactly the fucking same (laughs) and b no she does not if she was dressing sexy she'd be wearing short skirts or like boob revealing blouses it was so weird because he said that to her twice and the first time he said it is when she was just wearing the all black like we had seen her in every other um, yeah. scene. And then the second time, I guess she was, you know, feeling her oats from being a werewolf sex monster. So she puts on a weird, like, pink paisley shirt. Yeah, which is too long by far. Yeah, and it was over a black skirt. So it's like yeah. literally all she did was put on a different blouse that didn't match the rest of her outfit. He's like, hey, new look. It's like, no, no, Michael Rosenbaum, take that wig off. It's not, it's not. I mean, it just proves how stupid straight men are. It's like, she showed up in a different colored shirt than usual. Ooh, she's sexy. (laughs) She's really turning it around. I think he would have been filming Smallville when this was being filmed. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a wig. It's definitely a wig. I did want to touch on, though, the sibling thing between Christina Ricci and Jesse Eisenberg. They look so much alike. They do. (laughs) (laughs) They look like the same age. They do. Because she's supposed to be like the mother to his teenager. Yeah. And what? I think we're supposed to infer that she's in her at least late 20s because of her lofty position on the Craig Kilborn show. I had completely forgotten that she worked in the industry in this Mm -hmm. film. So when we see her working at the studio there, I was convinced that she was going to be a PA or something. So then when all of a sudden she's like the major person who's dealing with Craig Kilborn, I was like, uh, yeah, so she's got to be in her late 30s. So there's at least meant to be a decade. Sorry, late 20s. So there's at least meant to be a decade between her and Jesse Eisenberg. So she was 23 when this was being filmed and he was 20. Yeah, like they both look their age. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's true. I just, yeah. And like they try to do some emotional ways with like the parents being dead but like it's only when it shows that photo of the family that's like the yeah. only time that you're like oh right their parents are dead yeah okay uh come we'll come back to this in a moment okay the dead parents <laughs> good because yeah. i have thoughts <laughs> so jimmy is low-key stalking his classmate brooke christina anapau who is a thing apparently that exists in this world whose boyfriend Bo, milo ventum uh... Milia. Ventomiglia. Oh my god. Ventimiglia. Ventimiglia. No, we're not doing that. No, no. If you do it with an Italian accent, you'll nail it every time. Milo Ventimiglia. We've already gotten into trouble for this so many times. So, in my defense, I was trying to speak Portuguese. So, okay. I, I don't know what I'm trying to do here. I've lost all sense of time and space. So. Okay, Bo. 
He's a homophobic bully. Moving on. That's it. That's all he is. (laughs) Yes, that's literally all he is. And then stuff happens. Cursed. (laughs) So Ellie, meanwhile, is casually dating disinterested workaholic Jake. Joshua Jackson, a.k.a. Pacey, whom we will refer to as Pacey from now on. Mm-hmm. He is a ladies' man who is overseeing the final setup of Tinsel, a Planet Hollywood knockoff. That night, while driving on Mulholland Drive, because they say it motherfucking at least two times, maybe three times. So they're driving on Mulholland Drive and have a car accident. Are you getting this? Yes. David Lynch, Mulholland Drive. Yes. I got it. (laughs) We got it, Williamson. Jesus. So Ellie and Jimmy hit an animal, and then they get into a car accident with Becky, whose car is knocked off the road. At this point, it would have been reasonable to have had a line of dialogue like, holy shit, we got into a car accident like our parents. Oh my God, I'm really concerned. It's like, oh, I guess that car accident was written in in the rewrites. So... Just as the siblings free Becky, a werewolf drags all three of them away in the woods in what I think is just Wes Craven repurposing the tunnel that Nancy and her son, or Heather and her son, go down in New Nightmare, because that fucking foliage tracking shot goes on forever. Forever, and it's absurd. I kind of like it, though. I I like how they have to crawl out of the car, but yeah, it also begs the question, like, why is there a tunnel right next to this car? Which is then never explored and never glimpsed. It's like, we couldn't build it, we just couldn't also show the werewolf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Becky is killed, and Jimmy and Ellie are both scratched in the altercation. (laughs) After some exceedingly poor internet sleuthing about wolves, werewolves, and unsolved animal attacks, Jimmy deduces that they've been infected by the mark of the beast. On internet search. That was the website. (laughs) Yes. I love depictions of the internet in not that much older movies. It was Uh, my favorite. It's insane. And also, that also answers a question for me, because it came out in 2005, and I'm like, Google was a thing. It was well a thing in 2005, but it Mm -hmm. was not in 2000 when that script was written. But bear in mind, this movie does not have Google money. Because they're spending all that shit on that Rick, on that Rick Baker oh, prosthetics. <laughs> I thought you were about to say they were spending all that shit on that rape. I was like, what Whoa. rape are you talking about? Oh, my. Oh, yeah, that's in the edited cut. So it's Mandy Moore <laughs> on the pier. Oh, goodness. <laughs> With a shark. No, just kidding. Uh, okay. oh. Maybe a better movie. <laughs> Maybe. Just kidding. Tit rape is not funny. Let's not do that. So the siblings... Cut that out, Trace. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The siblings go on to experience a series of unusual occurrences. Ellie has nightmares. Jimmy sleepwalks naked. They both eat raw meat, and their senses are heightened. This is another um, R-rated cut, is whenever she has the dream where she bites uh, bites Jackson's neck. I'm assuming... I'm sorry, Pacey's neck. Uh, I'm assuming it just cuts away as soon as she wakes up as soon as she, like, bites him. Yes, more or less. So yeah. in the R-rated cut, you actually see her like rip a chunk out of his neck, and then oh, it, and then they it, don't show that in the other one. Yeah, and then it cuts yeah. to his face, and there's this awful, like basically, like because like a big p- part of his neck is missing. His head tilts to the side, and a geyser of CGI blood just sprays out of it, and it looks fucking terrible. Again, CGI I can't blood. believe you're making me want to see another cut of this movie. Like, <laughs> I want to sit. There I mean, again. it's 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 worth a watch. It's a it's. I mean, it's a better movie ish. Yeah. At least like, it's giving you something when they actually kill someone. Right. right exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because literally, like in the cut that we watched, Trace. So you see Becky get dragged away. They hold on to her legs, mm-hmm. and that is the last that you ever see of her. 
Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really funny shot when they crawl out of the car and they're standing there like, oh my god, what's going on? And then you just see her torso, <laughs> like, spinning through the air like and, like, whack her over. I, I don't know. I kind of love that. I feel like that fits with no, it does. the say, ridiculousness of what happens at Tinsel later. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, yeah, the, I'm just throwing bodies at you, you the bitch. Whole, the whole car scene... I found amazing because my favorite part of that is when they hit Shannon Elizabeth's car. They see it flip over like 17 times. Christina Ricci goes in to investigate. She finds like uh, Shannon Elizabeth hanging upside down, screaming and crying. And Christina Ricci says, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) That was my favorite part of the whole movie. They're oh, also yeah, and basically like, it's fine. Shannon Elizabeth's boobs doing all the acting. Yes, oh, I was just like, holy uh, fucking tatas! I don't want to be that guy, but those like fake titties—they just they they grab attention. You no, know? Yeah. when he yeah. cuts her down from the uh, seatbelt and she's like upside down, I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, her tits are gonna fall out of that dress. Yeah. Oh my I 100% god! Hundred percent thought like, oh, the R-rated cut is where her boobs fall out. <laughs> right. It's like we've all seen American Pie. We've seen her boobs. They look amazing. We yeah, don't need no, to see them yeah, again. In this. They're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were very expensive. So there also are quite a bit more fucks in the R-rated cut, uh, oh, which okay. I appreciated. Yeah. Well, you would. Okay. So the next day at the Craig Kilborn show. <laughs> <laughs> Dating your movie already. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Ellie is complimented by coworker Kyle, Michael Rosenbaum, who amounts to nothing. So you can just forget he's even in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and berated by Scott Bayo's manager, Joni, MVP of this fucking movie, Judy <laughs> no, Greer. She is the only one who knows what movie she's in. Yes. And Judy Greer is a goddamn national treasure anyway. So the fact that she's just in this movie will automatically elevate it. But yeah, she knows exactly what movie she's in. Yeah. 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 She's having a ton of fun, which is good because nobody... I mean, I she well, was in that first cut though, right? It, yes. But I don't know if she was the... Was she, like, was she the werewolf in the first cut? I don't know. I don't know. I think I remember reading that she was... She was the alpha... Like, because they hint at her being the alpha in this one, and then it turns oh, out to be yeah. Casey, but I think she was actually the alpha in this one. See, um, that would have been a better movie. It would have been a better movie. Well, but her performance reminded me of Uma Thurman in um, Batman and Robin. I was like, Batman and Robin? <laughs> where she was the only actor on set who was like, no, 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 I know exactly what movie we're doing. I'm going to chew this fucking scenery and make this a real camp classic. Yeah, she has a lot of fun in this. I- I'd like to believe that she's in the werewolf suit uh, when it flips <laughs> off Christina Ricci. Oh, yeah. But I'm jumping ahead, so. Yeah. Ah, oh, Judy Greer. So, okay. Um, but it's all cool that Ellie is like having all these weird experiences because she's also super busy sniffing out coworkers' nosebleeds and breaking bathroom stall doors. So, at a party that night, Ellie realizes that Pacey is a major ladies' man. And then moments later, in a completely unrelated scene in the parking garage, Jenny, because Jenny is still a character in this movie, it makes no sense. It comes in out of nowhere. Yeah. And knowing that that opening scene, though, was supposed to be later in the movie, you're like, okay, so maybe this was originally her introduction at the Craig Kilborn show, but then maybe she wasn't going to die there? I don't oh. really know. 
Maybe. No, I think it would have still happened before this, but at least then you wouldn't have forgotten that she even existed. Right. Yeah. Well, because I did the math when I was watching it the second time, and I when she showed up and she was so blasé, I thought, well, why isn't she more upset about her friend missing? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, that was just last night in the world of the movie. And yeah. then it occurred to me that the entire events of the movie take place over 48 hours. Yes. Which I didn't realize the first time I watched it. I don't but even also, think I no, that. But no one acts like they've been paying attention to anything. Like, right. you haven't heard from your friend. And also right. she's all over the fucking news as the victim of a horrible animal attack after a car accident. Oh my god, that's on right! Mulholland Drive. <laughs> Wait, where was the accident? I missed it the first time. Oh, it was Mulholland Drive. <laughs> oh, Mulholland Drive. Okay, yeah, got it. You know oh, that road, Drive. Mulholland right. Drive. Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yeah. There, wasn't there a movie Mulholland Drive that th- that took place on Mulholland Drive? Yeah, it's a yeah. better fucking movie though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't actually mind Cursed. I don't think no. it's great. But Jesus Christ, like every time Mulholland Drive came up, I was like, girl, you're just reminding me about how much I'd rather be watching Mulholland Drive. <laughs> well, because we're about to go to a set piece that uh, is good, but I I guess Williamson wanted to do it better in one of his later movies. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So Jenny gets arguably the best attack sequence in the film when she is attacked in the underground parking garage and then killed in the elevator. And Trace, I need confirmation. Is is there something gory that happens? Because in our cut, the doors get pried open and the werewolf head just bursts through and then we cut to black. No, that's also in the R-rated cut. Apparently there is like... So when this movie was getting filmed, Fangoria had a picture of like Maya's bloody ass corpse like all over this elevator, and that's the only footage that exists of her death scene. And I tried to find it on Google, like, and it's not. Like, so you basically have to have the print issue of Fangoria from when that came out. But what I was gonna say about this scene though, so a they fucking reference Nightmare on Elm Street with the goddamn werewolf claws scratching the side of the uh, car, and then I was like, I guess maybe Williamson thought this scene wasn't good enough, so they did the Alice and Brie parking garage scene in Scream Four. Which, coincidentally enough, they also had to reshoot in that movie. (laughs) Why did they have to reshoot that one? Yeah, so basically in the original cut of Scream 4, she just basically, like, the the killer calls her, she runs to the door, he stabs her and dies. So they added the part where she's, like, in in the car and, like, the killer jumps on the hood. Mm. They added more stuff to make it more suspenseful as opposed to just, oh, she runs and dies. Uh, I approve of that. Yeah. It's fine. She makes some real dunder... Because basically, like, the thing is, in the original cut, she gets out... She never gets in the car. She just goes to the car on the phone, runs to the door, and gets killed. Whereas in the new cut, she's in the car, and she makes the stupid decision to get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it makes her character dumb. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I, I like about Kevin Williamson's work is that, for the most part, he's aware of the tropes, so he tries to make, you know, the sort of... Yeah, cliche. he subverts them. He subverts them, right. And so the biggest way he subverts them is that the woman who's running from a monster or a killer or whatever usually makes smart decisions, but she's still unsuccessful. And yeah. Maya, uh, uh, was it Jenny? Was that Jenny. Jenny. So Maya Jenny. Um, uh, <laughs> MJ. <a> <laughs> MJ. So she does some smart things, like the way she rolls under the car and she's like hiding on the side of the car and then getting into the elevator. And you're like, oh, this is fun because she's smart and it's more fun to see a smart person. But to then she sticks her head out the <laughs> <Yes>! hole. <laughs> yes. And then she's like, remember the past four and a half minutes when I was doing smart things? Fuck that. Let me just stick my head out the hole where I just saw I'm exhausted. I can't be smart anymore. Oh, <laughs> I, being smart is for boys. <laughs> I do love that. Shot though of her like 
Spider-Manning on the side of the car. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Yeah, I no, it. I mean, there, there's a reason that when typically when people talk about this movie, they talk about people the talk ending about this it movie. since. <laughs> Girl, did you not get the responses on? T- oh, did you not check in on Twitter when no, you were watching? No, no, okay. because because like you know, I, like when we post, like we're watching the same movie within like twenty four hours of each other, people can tend to catch on. Yeah. Oh, people caught on. No, I know. <laughs> like, literally, I said I was watching this movie, and people were like, "I know what you're watching that for." <laughs> I'm like, you don't know me. Sometimes I just watch things. <laughs> Sometimes I just watch shitty ass movies. Uh, no, I did check in on Facebook though, and. Um, yeah, there were some defenders of this movie, and I'm like, yeah, oh, like it. people genuinely like this movie. To which I say, have you watched it recently? Well, and I mean, I know we're not even halfway done with this plot summary, but <laughs> it's that campiness, and also it's a movie where the production history itself is more interesting than the actual film that we got. Okay. So I think yeah. it's just fun to watch this movie and like wonder Speculate. what could have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, completely. Yeah. Well, I think part of it, too, is that it's much like the question you posed. People not only want to know the truth of what happens, but now that we know that there's another almost completely full done cut of this movie that exists somewhere in the world, it's like, just fucking give it to us. Has that ever happened before? Where, like, again, a movie is 90% done, and then they're like, rewrite it. I mean, it must have, but I I haven't. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Listeners, if you know of this a similar situation happening that wasn't a Weinstein film, let us know. I feel like there's probably some old Hollywood stuff where they just full on fired like a lead actress or something and then brought in somebody new and had to reshoot everything. But maybe ninety percent. Well, they just did that recently. Kevin Spacey, they kicked him yeah. off of a movie and they brought in um, Christopher uh, Plummer. Trap. Yeah, Christopher Plummer. The, yeah. the the money movie with Michelle Williams. Yeah, it's yeah, all the money in the world. There you go. Yeah, that was it. Yep. <laughs> it only takes three of us to remember a. Boring ass movie. Yeah, I didn't see it. I Uh, actually didn't see it either, I feel bad. Okay. Maya's dead. Yes. So, Jimmy and Ellie continue to act oddly. Ellie sucks on Craig Kilburn's bleeding finger, which I honestly almost barfed at. She goes to town on that finger, too. Like, that, she was literally rubbing it with her hand as she's sucking it, so. (laughs) Yeah, like, she's full-on filleting that finger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She scuffles with Joni, and she nearly attacks her co-worker. Who could care? Yeah. None of it amounts to anything. <laughs> uh, was this line in there, though, whenever Scott Bayo's like, pissy with Joan, Joni? She's like, do you have any idea who I had to blow to get you in here tonight? Nope. Okay, that's in the R-rated cut. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely not in my cut. Because I would love to hear Judy Greer deliver that line. <laughs> right? Oh, Judy. Okay. Jimmy infers that Bo is actually gay, and then flips him around like a hot dog on the wrestling court. There's a lot of wire foo, particularly around the way that Jesse Eisenberg does his werewolf tricks in this movie, mm-hmm. and it looks bad. And also, Christina Ricci doesn't have any of that. No. <laughs> no, she never she never gets to do any, like, luchador moves on anybody, which I would pay to see. That well, be because great. all she fucking gets to do is get hit and fall to the floor. Hit and fall to the yeah. floor. Hit and fall fall to the fucking floor i mean she does get the kind of cool moment though in the bathroom when she like grabs the door so hard that she bleeds but then like she has the cgi face and it's just like ruins it which just undercuts it yeah and also that woman who i know we're supposed to think is her friend the the other woman in that scene the blood the blood asian lady yeah Yeah. (laughs) who never gets a fucking name yeah i know well that's problematic in a whole different way welcome back to 2003 yeah but if you're, I'm sorry, if you go into a bathroom and you see your friend run into a stall and then you're like, are you okay? And they're like, I'm fine. Don't 
push your way into the stall. You don't know what they're doing. It was so weird. Oh, 100%. She would have just peaced out. Like, yeah. girl, you made a valiant attempt at checking in on your friend, and then no. When they start to push the door back against you and you see fingers bleeding, mm-hmm. don't continue. No. It's not worth it. Like, your friend's on PCP. Just walk away. <laughs> right. Or maybe they just had some really, really bad, you know, Indian food and they need to have a little time to themselves in that stall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Don't push your way in. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you don't know what the catering is like on the Craig Kilborn show. Anything <laughs> could be happening in there. <laughs> and this is kind of to just the climax of the movie. Well, kind of. But... Wait, this is the climax of the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because they're they're at Tinsel, and then, like, yeah, because, and then, like, she goes into the hall, the maze of mirrors, which, why? Nope, there should never be a maze of mirrors at a nightclub, because people um, are Okay, we'll get, there, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. Okay, <laughs> no, like, that's kind of where we are. No, we we're not. No, we jumped it, we jumped <laughs> no, it. No, we're not. Okay, sorry, sorry, This sorry. is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes, because you you're, you lumped, like, the wrestling stuff, like, later, when it's already been sparked, whatever, continue, sorry. No, I, I lumped the bathroom stuff together, because it... There's just all these random scenes that happened at her office and nobody could fucking care. No one cares. No one cares. Okay, we're on to Bo. So Bo eventually comes out to Jimmy, who counters by outing himself as a werewolf. And it's one of the things that people like about this film, apparently. They find it funny. Well, I I would argue that I don't think that's super successful. Obviously, once we're done with this, we'll go into a more in-depth discussion about Bo. But um, I do like his role in the last act of the movie. (laughs) Same. That was so groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the pair then flee the house as Jimmy's poorly rendered werewolf dog Zipper attacks them. (laughs) Outside work, Pacey confirms that he is the werewolf, or a werewolf rather, and all parties then intersect at Tinsel, where they are attacked in... A House of Mirrors, which makes no sense in a nightclub. She, well, she goes in there. Like, did someone tell her? Oh, yeah. Jimmy is in the House of Mirrors. Does someone tell her that? Nope. Okay, so she just goes in there yep. looking for them. Mm-hmm. And then they can all hear each other from the different places they're in in this House of Mirrors. Yes. As though no one else in this party has gone <laughs> in there, despite the fact that the club was full of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they were trying to go in as Christina Ricci was leaving. And she's like, no, don't go in there. It's really dangerous. Stop with her great acting in this movie. Oh my movie. god. <laughs> Call the police. Oh wait, there's a security guard. <laughs> That's right. Call the police. So yeah. much conviction. So after some generic action in the death of co-worker Kyle, because he's still in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, but his death is pretty cool, though, because her hand just comes down and picks him up. And he doesn't scream or anything, though. No. And, well, oh, sorry, we'll get, oh, there's another R-rated bit that's pretty cool. Yeah. The body. Okay, so it is revealed that the werewolf is Joni, an embittered, jilted ex of Pacey's. So in the film's high point, Greer chews the scenery, punches Jimmy in the face a bunch, and kicks down every door she can possibly find. <laughs> Eventually, the police arrive, and Ellie lures Joni out of hiding by insulting her vanity. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You're forgetting the fact that when she grabs a fucking sword, and like, <laughs> like, legit like her masterful handling of this sword as she's running around twirling it like getting ready to kill them and then it's like villain monologuing the entire time well obviously because part of the werewolf mythos is that you immediately become very skilled at swordplay we all know that right we're all on the same page (laughs) Mm -hmm. and wearing like a killer kimono dresses in like lavender purple two things about that scene first of all that dress was amazing 
And that was the best villain dress I've ever seen. And I'm so glad Judy Greer was the one to wear it. And secondly, I really appreciated that that sword was taken from a Xena statue. That really, I enjoyed that a lot. So is that like not a dress that's just like some window dressing she pulled off and wrapped around herself? Wait, no, yeah, no, because isn't, uh, didn't... Whenever, before she jumps out and is revealed, uh, Jimmy's like, wait, there were three mannequins, there's three microphones, but two mannequins. So I think she stole the clothes uh, off one of the mannequins. Yes, okay. that's that what That makes happened. more sense. Oh. I just realized that now, so I was like, always <laughs> wondering what the point of that was when he was like, wait, weren't there three of them? No, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like, why, why is one of them missing? It doesn't make any right. sense. But yeah, she took their okay. clothes. Got it. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. So the werewolf publicist flips them the bird before she is then shot to death. And the movie ends. Wait, flips them the bird and goes, liar! Liar! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. Uh, I have to read this line, though. So the cops are like, who is it? Her name's Joni. She's this hyper-skinny publicist. Uh, She got a bony ass. And fat thighs. (laughs) And bad skin. It's... (laughs) so funny i honestly the movie's worth a watch just for that line delivery alone and of course the flipping off werewolf yeah i'm not even like the the werewolf isn't even in the building she has to break (laughs) through a plane of glass so that she can then hang on like king kong and get the finger yeah liar and and what i love too is like when she notices the cops that she gave herself away then she goes shit and then she like has to run away See, I wanted the entire movie to be like that. No, because the whole movie should be Joni's story. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because it's kind of upsetting, right? Because basically, like, your killer in this movie is a a bitter woman who's killing all the women that her boyfriend's fucking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, is that the best message to put in your movie? Well, and it's particularly weird. Like, it it honestly feels like a crazy stalker film from the 80s and 90s. Like, this is the same motivation that they gave Fatal Attraction and Hand That Rocks the Cradle and shit, where it's an ultra-successful, totally functional, normal woman who then sleeps with a guy, loses her fucking mind, Mm -hmm. and then just goes apeshit and takes out her vengeance on other women. Right. Yeah. It's like near. It's also one of those examples where you see that the Bechdel test metri- metric doesn't really work mm-hmm. because Judy Greer and and um, uh, Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci. Sorry, her name just went right out of my head. But Judy Greer and Christina Ricci, like, are they do talk to each other about things other than men? Like, they talk about work and they insult each other and stuff. But that's the only time that two women speak to each other in the whole movie, except I guess her friend who had the bloody nose and tried to push in. The skull. I mean, yeah, yeah, Becky and Jenny talked to each other a little bit in the beginning with Zella, but... Oh, that's right. That's that's, true. That's really about it. But it it was about a man. It was, right? Because Jenny just wanted to know about, like, the guy that Becky was with. Yeah, which, of course, it turns out is Pacey. Is Pacey, right. Yeah. Because that's the other thing. I mean, I... I do kind of like the conceit that the werewolfism makes them all hyper attractive to other mm-hmm. people, but yeah. it's also kind of super gross that everybody is just fucking pacey in this movie. Oh yeah. Well yeah. Well, because it makes him more despicable. So like when he does the whole like, when he's nice and like, you know, and like you think he's dead for a bit, it's like, well, but you're also kind of a scumbag. Yeah, he's a total asshole. Like, he's fucking everything in a skirt. And so despite this wonderful set piece in Tinsel, I guess, the movie's still not over. <laughs> no, the movie's over. I said so. <laughs> <laughs> the last scene just doesn't exist. 
<sighs> All right. Alas, in an unnecessarily tacked-on ending, the siblings discover the curse hasn't been broken. Pacey shows up to sweep Ellie off her feet, provided that she lets him murder her brother, because reasons. <laughs> the siblings fight him until Ellie finally stabs Pacey with a cake platter and then decapitates him with a shovel. The body burns up, thankfully only scorching the kitchen floor and no other parts of the house. <laughs> and then Brooke shows up for a kiss, and she, Jimmy, and Bo wander off into the night for a presumed threesome, leaving Ellie and Zipper to clean up the mess. So, two R-rated things. One is Michael Rosenbaum's body falls back down, and Joni, when she's still human Joni, she shoves her hands into his open gut wound and, like, spoons blood out and just licks it and, like, laps it out of her hands. And then when they kill Joshua, ja or, I'm sorry, Pacey, do they decapitate him with a shovel in your version? Yeah, they do. And we yeah. see like a really terrible, like still image of his head. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's very implied. Uh, it's not. I mean, you do see the head apart from the body, but you don't see it separated from the body. Okay, yeah. I think we may see it separated in the already cub. But yeah, I was surprised that y'all get to see the actual severed head. But okay, yeah. it's like a, a bit blink and you'll miss it. But it's also really badly done. So you could kind of be like, oh, is that a big ice cube on the floor? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think this is the longest it's ever taken us to get through a plot summary. But we have touched on a lot of things. But I think we should probably just dive right into bow. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mm, oh, yes can yeah. we yeah because yeah. i'm remembering the pilot right from this is us okay y'all did y'all watch gilmore girls no no i'm okay. a bad gay that's terrible y'all need to go watch that but yeah. i so he he's like the bad boy on gilmore girls yes like rory like basically like you know it's like oh is it gonna be him jess or is it gonna be uh jerry padalecki dean who's super boring yeah team jess team dean team yeah. blah I've never found Milo Ventimiglia attractive. You shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. So when Have he, you ever seen him only wear a towel? Yes. I mean, I, I watch a lot of his stuff, actually. I didn't see Rocky Balboa. But Did you see Heroes? Yes. You didn't think he was attractive in Heroes? No. <gasps> I actually preferred Adrian Pastar in Heroes. Well, that's fair. No, that's valid. Uh, in I terms of looks, so yes. But in terms of his obnoxious voiceovers, no. Right. No, so there's something about the way Milo Ventimiglia talks where it always sounds like he has, like, peanut butter stuck in the back of his throat. He has a weird delivery. I will give you that. Yeah, but even, like, the, come on, man, this is really hard for me. Like, that kind of weird thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, God, the Dubrodism. It's a little Keanu Reevesy in, yes. in his dialogue. Yeah, I can see that. And Freddie Prinze Jr. is also a violator of this way of speaking. I can um, see that. Yeah, it's just, like... It's this kind of forced dude broism, but maybe that's not forced. Maybe that's just how he talks. I don't know. So we know that Kevin Williamson is a gay man. Yes. What? I, I know. Shocker. Mm. And obviously, do we think that Bo is just a real bully that Williamson had growing up that he just put in this movie? I think that it was, if that is true, then I doubt that the real version of Bo ever actually came out of the closet i think that was just some wish fulfillment on kevin williamson's part yeah that this is his guess. retconning as a successful screenwriter i'm yeah, gonna exactly. make all of my bullies 
big old homos. I mean, you can see him threading this line in a couple of different other instances. Like, I always got a weird gay-ish vibe off of both Stan and Zeke in the faculty. And I don't know if that's just... I mean, I I feel like everyone is gender fluid in the faculty. Yeah. (laughs) Like, literally everybody could just fuck anybody else on that set at any time. Except maybe Delilah. That's what would have happened if the alien Mary Beth had won. Mm-hmm. That they would all just be fucking. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Fuck everyone. Yeah. yeah, that tracks. But this definitely seems to be the culmination of this project that he's been working through in a couple of different movies. Like, I mean, even Barry in I Know What You Did Last Summer. And I don't I don't know yeah. if it's partially the way that Kevin Williamson writes these characters, but also the fact that they always get these kind of sort of bad boy, but like cover boy model-esque oh, yeah. actors to play them. So, well, I mean, Billy and Stu in Scream, like, you know, you watch it as an adult gay man, knowing that another adult gay man wrote that. And you're like, wow, mm. I did not pick that up when I was a kid watching this movie that like, he really wanted them to be construed, if not completely as a couple, then at least Stu was you know very much attracted to billy he like rests his chin on his shoulder and there's that intimacy that you don't see between straight teenage boys and so yeah it does seem like he he started it with scream and he kind of ended it with milo's character in uh cursed well and listeners can go back to our second episode ever on scream we also wrote an article on it um but i will tell you right now that that reading of billy and Stu being gay together got us some of the most vicious feedback <laughs> Yeah, which is hysterical because when we talk about it with people, the majority of people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, like I totally get it now. Maybe didn't get it then. There's a bunch. Well, as Trace and I have discovered, people have strong opinions when it comes to all things Scream. Oh, of course. Well, or just trying to queer up something that isn't that's uh, subtextual, you know? Right. Yeah. But the thing is, like, it's, you know. It's a gay creator. It's being it's being written by somebody who sees the entire world through a gay lens. Yes. This is why you have a underling fellating her boss's finger in this movie. <laughs> well, and even with Bo, too. So, like, I mean, there's so much homophobic dialogue. Like, half of his dialogue is, like, oh. anti-gay stuff. Yeah. He says the a variation of fag or gay... I think five times in 35 seconds in his opening scene. My favorite is, is I bet your dog's gay too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's running away. He, he has keeps that. Zipper out of this. <laughs> he has geek on his way to Fagtown. Which I will say, I hate the fag word, but geek on your way to Fagtown is actually a really funny phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I would just raise my hand and be like, present. <laughs> yeah. And then like at the wrestling match, like when Jamie's talking to Brooke, he's like, what's going on, Brooke? You going fruit fly on me? And then the other guy calls him a limp wrist. And then when they're wrestling, Bo's like, come on, fairy, shake your dust. To which, to which Jimmy replies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, the best part about being a fairy, you get to get fly. To fly. <laughs> so stupid. Which Especially everyone all he does is fall in the yeah. next moment. But that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> like he not remember when like he, he sort of suplexed the other guy and like sent Bo flipping up into the air. That would have been an appropriate time to say that line. Yeah. As opposed to picking him up, but then just dropping him. That doesn't actually make much sense. Yeah. Uh, that whole scene, I'm just like, okay, I get it. We are taking revenge on our high school bully. And then we get the payoff in the next scene where you get to write your tormentor in as a potential love interest that you get to deny. 
Work it out in therapy like the rest of us, Kevin. Yeah. Jesus All Christ. wish fulfillment. Like the bully is actually gay and then you beat him up in front of everybody. So you humiliate him and then, you know, uh, exonerate yourself and then he's in love with you and then you get to reject him and break his heart. I mean, that's basically a porno. Like that's basically what that is. And mm-hmm. writing is a form of therapy. So that's all he was doing. But I, I'm never going to like poo poo on like, you know, put bringing in like, you know, queerness into a horror film. But I would argue that it's so superfluous in this movie. Like, it doesn't... You could remove all of the bow stuff. I mean... Because the movie's giving you... Oh, like, here's Christina Ricci's life at Craig Kilborn, and here's his high school life for this 20-year-old. And... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it just, None of it meshes well together. Like, all the high school stuff, it's so different from all the Craig Kilborn stuff that's going on that it's just like... It feels like two different movies most of the time. It absolutely does, yeah. but I would actually counter... I would say all of the Ellie Outwork stuff is the stuff that could be jettisoned. Because if you're looking at mythology in terms of werewolves, the part that the film does the best is actually this idea that werewolf and being gay are kind of like the secret that you have to keep hidden right 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 so the the problem with all the ellie stuff is that it's just her acting weird and sexual and her co-workers being mildly frightened of her whereas the high school stuff is super superfluous, but at least we get a slightly deeper metaphor coming out well they make it also they make it very literal when uh, when during the coming out scene when he's like i'm not gay i'm cursed yeah it sure feels that way doesn't it yeah. yeah it was such an interesting thing to watch that because it's such a time capsule at this point in our society where mm-hmm. people were really starting to grow a lot in terms of their acceptance of gay people but mm-hmm. gay teens were still having a really tough time so and so it even starts he's like yeah it feels like a curse but and then, like, but Jesse Eisenberg is like, no, that's great. You go gay. You know, like that kind yeah. of like, where are we exactly in our advancement as a society? But it's also impossible to watch that scene and not be reminded of the exact same scene that happened on Buffy the Vampire Slayer two years earlier, or two years before that was written, when um, Xander was trying to find out who a werewolf was, and there was a homophobic bully. Yeah. Who oh, then remember that? Yes. And they're like, oh, I know what you are. And then the homophobic bully is like, how do you know? And he's like, because I'm, you know, I've been there because he had turned into a hyena the season premiere. Yeah. Or the season before. And uh, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's so great to talk to, like, to finally say yeah. I'm gay. He's like, what? So it's just like, you know, because Joss Whedon and Kevin Williamson were such contemporaries. They were writing all of this stuff mm-hmm. at the same well, time. And they were both writing for the WB at that point. They were both writing for the exactly. WB. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like, I remember when I saw that the first time, and it was not too long after that scene happened at Buffy, and I was like, really? You're just pulling that right? Okay. So that's kind of my thing, though, is I think w- this script feels like Williamson trying to copy himself. Like, yes. it feels like another per. It, it feels like when Aaron Kruger was trying to do Kevin Williamson in Scream 3. Like, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel like... Like, you're right, Joe. You mentioned earlier that, you know, some of it does sound like things Kevin Williamson would write. But the other stuff, like, fucking, like, oh, God, what is, um... Uh, another play on Cursed when Jimmy's like, I could be cursed. And then Christina Ricci gets this god-awful line that's like, everybody's cursed, Jimmy. It's called life. Like, <laughs> is you acted that line so much better than she did in the movie <laughs> like you could just substitute that out and be like mondays suck huh <laughs> i mean and i think this is i i'm no shade to christina ricci but i think that she's kind of dismal in this let's she's be honest terrible but it's because she's 
this is the second time she's done it, so I think she was over it. Yeah. Which just kind of goes to show you the level of professionalism that Judy Greer has, because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like she's doing it for the second time. Oh, no. Right. This looks like a series of, like, the most excited first takes from Judy Greer, where she's just like, <laughs> oh, you're going to let me kick down that door? Oh, you're going to let me punch Jesse Eisenberg at the face? Like, yeah. oh, you're going to let me flip the bird? Sure. Yes, I'll do everything. Again. Don't cast me as the best friend. Assume- <laughs> yeah, well, oh, right, right. Right, right, exactly. But yeah, because Christina Ricci is legitimately a good actress. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's proven that over and over and over and over and over again. And if you had never seen her and you just saw in this movie, you'd think, who the hell was that woman? Who did they get to play this role? She was terrible. Yeah, it feels like she's sleepwalking through the role. Of course, yeah. But to be fair, she's given... Nothing, nothing to work with no, in this that's movie. True. This that character is, is the yeah. worst. I mean, she, the character's fine, but the problem is, like, she she has the fucking romance subplot, which doesn't matter. She has the Craig Kilborn stuff, which doesn't matter. Mm. No. And then she's like got also this new teen mom thing going on, and it's like, what it doesn't really matter either. Which I just realized. Do you think Kevin Williamson just stole that from Gilmore Girls? Oh like, my god. <laughs> Christina Ricci is my Lorelai. Is he just watching TV and like cobble together the script? <laughs> He's like, what can get me $5 million from Dimension? Because those Weinsteins are fucking tools. Well, so that's what I'm like, that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe this movie was always bad. I mean, even though, again, you have Weinstein coming out saying, oh, it's going to reinvent the werewolf genre. Ha ha. Oh my god, that quote. I love it. Love it. <laughs> It's my favorite. Because we set this werewolf movie in Hollywood, y'all. We're going to reinvent the werewolf genre. Well, Hollywood loves to suck its own dick, so. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right, because you're in L.A. (laughs) I'm literally two blocks, or not two blocks, I'm like maybe 20 blocks or From sucking dick? No, yeah, well, no, I'm always just two (laughs) inches away from that. Hey! Uh, No, but I'm like, I would say I'm half a mile from where Tinsel is supposed to exist in this movie i'm I'm right on the cusp of west hollywood and hollywood okay so yeah yeah, that that's that's a good segue then thank you into Mm -hmm. yeah like joe you said tinsel and just the overall satire of hollywood in this movie which really the the, i think can we call it satire isn't that being a little generous absolutely like when like the best line which is saying something is fucking Joni going play fair this is hollywood Mm. (laughs) 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 wet fart (laughs) Hey, that's my line. I know. I took it from you. (laughs) Yeah, I think what I love is when we get that opening tour of Tinsel, and I feel like we're meant to be impressed with it, and all I could think of is, who is the fucking audience for this club? Well, that's the thing, because there's like, in in Hollywood, there's a very famous museum called the Hollywood Museum, which is legitimately awesome, and they have all of these props and costumes and set pieces from, you know, from classic movies. But it's not a nightclub. Yeah, like, does it also have a hall of mirrors and a bar? (laughs) Like, there's, like, a horror part of it, but it's, like, it's not a nightclub. You know what I mean? It's, like, a weird thing to blend those two things together. Yeah. I understand the appeal of a kind of Madame Tussauds, like, wax museum, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Planet Hollywood kind of thing. But then the idea that you would have all of these props with no curtains, like no Mm -hmm. velvet ropes or anything, and apparently that one poor black security guard on the premises, like, you should not be able to get up there and grab Xena's sword because that would be fucking dangerous. Yes, especially since it's clearly a real sword. (laughs) Apparently so. And she she doesn't actually get to kill it. Oh, oh, 
I'm diverting, but I also love the moment whenever uh, the wolf Joni knocks out Christina Ricci, and she just walks over to her body and just starts, like, with its paw, just starts tapping her on the face mm-hmm. to wake like, her hey, up. Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> See, all of, all of the final dramatic stuff that happens, basically from, Tim, the moment that you, that you mentioned where... Christina Ricci. Oh my god, I can't even remember her character's name. Ellie. <laughs> Ellie. Where Ellie rolls under the under the gate. Like from yeah. that moment on, that's when it kinda actually feels like a Williamson Craven film because the comedy is sharper, the editing is a little bit better like yeah. we've got some decent fight scenes i mean the cgi is motherfucking off there's a but... few cool set pieces like when she's trapped between the walls and it, you know the fist is coming through yeah the scream 2 sequence yeah yeah which <laughs> al- which yeah. is also redone later with evil dead whenever she's like you know the machetes coming through the wall at her but um but yeah no, you're right i mean you're right though i think the, um the editing saves it uh, it just feels like it flows better well it's got energy too right like mm-hmm. it almost makes me wonder if this is part of the original cut where people are actually giving it a go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it could be. Yeah. It, it's interesting because it's sort of like with, you know, Scream, the, especially the first two, like they're so tight that when you get to the climax, it, you, you know, you're sort of drawn along. And then once you get to the climax, it's like fireworks and it won't, you know, but it's completely justified by, by what came before it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, when the movie sleepwalks until... Ellie rolls under that gate and then stands up and is Sarah Connor. It, you know, it, none of that feels earned. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, though, too, because, like, so, you know, Patrick Lucy edited this, but there is a second editor credited, uh, Lisa Romaniura. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Ha-ha. See, <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay, it's Roman IW. Romani? Uh, ro- oh, yeah. Roman yeah. New. Roman New. <laughs> Roman. So, but I wonder though if if they couldn't get Lucier back after the reshoots, so then they had to bring in this other woman to cut it together, cut the new and the old footage together, or if maybe like he was like, "Fuck you guys, I can't do this." So they're like, cool, we'll bring in this woman to help you. So that's may- maybe yeah, maybe that this tensile sequence is mostly Lucier's work. Oh, Just maybe. to clarify. Just because of the way that you said it, we're not suggesting that women editors can't cut as well as men. It oh, could no. just be that somebody who has maybe not worked on the whole project, if That's, they had to okay. come in and cut shit together, right, it's a hard job. Editor. I'm sorry. Yeah. I w- if it was a man, I would have said it the exact same way. This man, I would have said it the exact same way. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was not trying to say that women can't edit, obviously. Lisa, I apologize to you. Lisa Romanu, we were, were, were apologize. Where, 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 where. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Actually, most of the indie editors that I've worked with are women. So a lot of women who work in editing. Yeah, so fuck you, Trace. Oh my god. <laughs> you hate women directors I, I and women. female editors. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Wait, Trace, you hate all women? I'm oh. an anti-feminist. Um, oh, well, I've got a Joker movie that you're gonna fucking love. Oh, yeah. Oh, is it anti-feminist, that movie? <laughs> no, nah, there's a lot of hot takes happening right now for people who have not seen the movie. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So what else is there? I, well, I was say we have like the tacked on ending, but the, it's not even worth talking about because it feels more tacked on than the hospital scene in Scream Four. It does. Oh, the geez. only thing I will say is that the fight choreography is really good. That's the only thing I'll say is that it, it looks like punches land, and they clearly had good stunt people working on it. But that's, mm. I mean, but again, fights are only exciting when they're justified by the story that came before it. Otherwise, it's just like watching a stunt reel. 
I do like him crawling on the ceiling. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. I like it in principle. I don't like it in execution. No, the CGI looks really bad. <laughs> well, especially when you see the nails come through Jesse Eisenberg's shoes. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this looks like a cartoon. Right. Well, okay, maybe, can y'all speculate on what the original ending was then? Unless that's your game, Joe. That's not your game, is it? It's not. Okay, cool. Because, I mean, again, yeah. So there was an ending that wasn't this... So I'm assuming it had nothing to do with ja- Pacey. I, I read somewhere that Scott Bayo was at one point a werewolf. Oh my god. god. And, okay, well, and, in that case, we dodged a fucking bullet. Yes. Well, um, would it have added to the camp, though, to have him be, well, like, a final yeah. villain? I just wish it was some other, because he's such a dick. Like, I wish it was some other actor. Um, yeah, it's hard to watch Scott Bayo nowadays, It's really too, hard right? to watch him, yeah. 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 Well, so even like going in, because so, so, you know, Joe, we kind of went through our, our definitions of camp last week, which is, you know, intentional bad taste, intentional mm. madness. This doesn't fall into that category. No. But it's still campy because it's so fucking stupid. It's, well, it's like it's like what you guys said about the Wicker Man when they did the, um, the not the cast recording, what is it, when they did the commentary. Oh, yeah. And it was before the movie came out. Oh. So they all thought it was a good movie. And it's like, no, that was not intentional camp, guys. That was not a dark comedy. <laughs> you just failed. But that's the fine line, though. So if 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 camp has to be intentionally bad, which that yeah. is the definition of it, yes. so then what do you call something like this? It's just shit, right? Just like, shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's just a poorly done movie. Well, no, okay, we need to backtrack because the definition of camp is not intentional badness. It's oh, really? also appropriated trash that people celebrate as aesthetic goodness because that's what showgirls is okay oh right because that's a quote-unquote camp classic even though there was an honest attempt at making like a, mm-hmm. a serious movie yeah so i would actually mm. classify this film in that category you could also argue that most of this film is actually just trash and that the judy greer stuff is the camp that's, and that's yeah, what that's i do yeah so I think that when people talk about how much they like this film, they're misremembering whole sections of it. Yes. And then when they are thinking about the things that they like, they often think about the Judy Grusa or the ridiculousness of, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's wire foo, Christina Ricci, you know, sucking on Craig Kilburn's finger, like all of that stuff where you're just like, this is not good. But, but the film weird. needed more of that, though, like had it leaned harder into that. But again... This is a movie in quotation marks, just like Jason Goes to Hell last week. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even consider this a full movie because even if you didn't know the production history, you would be able to tell something was off in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like something went horribly wrong and then they delivered it to the theaters and projected it and made people pay money to see it. And I was one of them. I was one of them. (laughs) I mean, I again, I was too. But and that's it's really sad. When you have $38 million on this movie. Just blanket statement, that's it. <laughs> it's just really sad that you got $38 million on this. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... It's a... <laughs> and then, yeah. stop. It, it doesn't make its money back. I mean, it's a huge fucking flop. Like, yeah. I, I remember it got pretty much buried. I, I mean, I don't... Yeah, it didn't, mm-hmm. obviously. It made $10 more million after its opening weekend, so it's like... Meh, meh. I mean, opening it in February, like... 
Yeah, that's a weird choice. Well, and you could also point a finger and say, this is one of the films that contributes to the continued negligence of werewolf films in Hollywood, right? Because they make shit like this. They make The Wolfman and all of these movies just do fucking terrible because A, the effects look like garbage and they never seem to be able to crack the story. So we end up with hot garbage movies that nobody wants to pay to see. And then people say, oh, you can't make a good werewolf movie. I think that the Wolfman remake with Del Toro, sorry, Benicio Del Toro, is fine. But yes, the CGI is really bad, and I think it flopped as well. I don't I think, think it did, yeah. 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 But went for the R rating, so good for that. Because I remember when I was a kid, I saw American Werewolf in Paris, not London, but Paris. Oh, wait, <laughs> and, Paris. Oh, and never mind. I liked it when I was a kid, and then it was on Netflix. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this movie again. Uh, yeah, and, don't oh, do that. Boy. So what you're saying oh. is we could have been talking about that instead today. Might as well have. I mean, it's <laughs> I, the thing is, although there are, I feel like Cursed failed so spectacularly yeah. in a way that American Werewolf in Paris was just bland and forgettable. Well, and because it's a sequel, right? So you just say, oh, well, it's a yeah. sequel. We can just dismiss it because we still got the original. We still got the original. I mean, right. okay, it is a sequel in, like, in name In name only. only. Yeah, like, it's... And the rules like of the, the werewolves and like the dead people and whatever. But it has right. nothing to do with that first film. But yeah. yeah, that's one of those movies where like I, I like it fine still. But yeah, it's definitely just very blah whereas right. this one at least yeah like you said it, it's so bad that you're just like fascinated by it yeah mm. and it's not even like so bad it's good camp classic no. it's just yeah. so bad that as you know especially as somebody who works in film like it is fascinating to me how yes. every choice was the wrong choice mm. like, it, it yeah. does feel like a time capsule though like you know like i feel like you could watch this movie and be like oh that's 2003 yes absolutely yeah. it's 100%. very much of its time especially yeah. with the cast even just the way it looks it's very yeah. early 2000s well mm -hmm. also like i love that whenever they pick up a phone it's always fun to look at phones in old movies and by old i mean even 10 years ago yeah you know, technology wise is oh, considered everything's changed movie. yeah and like jesse eisenberg's character doesn't have a cell phone so he asks milo ventimiglia like oh let me have your cell phone <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's just so you know it's such a different world but um but yeah <laughs> Does does the dog die in this movie, or does it no, revert no, it reverts back still to normal at the end? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, they all turn back from their werewolf self to their normal self, and then and in a nice bit of book ending, Brooke finds the dog and you know holds it for Jesse Eisenberg because that's how mm. they started the movie and that's how they ended it. This is the most thankless role in this fucking movie. Is that Brooke girl? God. Like, can we talk about Brooke for a second? By because all means. A her fashion, I live for. I don't know what the hell she's wearing. And her, it's just so, like, late 90s, early 2000s that she's actually my favorite character visually in the whole movie. Like, I feel I feel as though literally her clothes are just, in quotation, nice girl clothes. Yes, Like, exactly. somebody said, how should we dress her? Like, what are you imagining? And people were like, I've got to think about Christina Ricci's sexy outfit. I don't have time for this. Right. Just put her in nice girl clothes. And, like, like pink, easy colors to look at kind of thing. But my favorite thing about her is that she clearly hates Milo Ventimiglia. Like, <laughs> from the yeah. beginning. And yeah. she even says at one point, she's like, stop being such a dick, Bo. And then, like, Jimmy makes fun of him. She's like, good one, Jimmy. And then she's like, okay, Bo, let's go. <laughs> and then they, like, lick arms and walk away. <laughs> it's like, none of this tracks. None of this tracks at all. Oh, that tracked for me. It's because he's given her the good dickin'. Oh, well, okay, there no, you go. Just a kidding. good That good dickin'. gay dickin'. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that works on me, so sure. I kept thinking, because you told me well, who the actress that played her name, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but she looks just like Tyler Lee, so I kept thinking that, I was like, oh, that that's the girl from Not Another Teen Movie. <laughs> Glasses and a Ponytail Girl. Oh, God. Wait, it's y- not y- her. Wait, that's I, no, it's that's not, Charlie? I know. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Charlie Lee, also Lexi Gray from Grey's Anatomy, or Alex from Supergirl. From Supergirl, yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she's glasses and ponytail from Not Another Teen Movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think she maybe refers to herself by a different name, but yeah, we can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> glasses and a ponytail. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> But wasn't that like wasn't another T movie the first time we really saw Chris Evans? I think yeah. it was my first time. I mean, like I'm sure yeah. he was another set before that, but yeah, that was yeah. like his first big that thing that big got him famous. Yeah. And we saw his little butt. And oh, speaking of butts, okay. oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, yeah, we get man butt in this movie, right? But for a second, and again, I remembered watching this movie when I was a kid. Or not, sorry, I just made myself sound way younger than I am. When I was a young I was 12 person. years old and I saw yeah. this movie. Right. I was not, <clears throat> I was not 12 years old in 2005, just, <clears throat> just saying. But um, I remember seeing it and thinking it was Jesse Eisenberg's butt. And then now. With, oh, you never heard of bunt doubles? Wait, it was well, a no, butt double? Well, it was a stunt double. Because Jesse Eisenberg is not going to go scaling up that house in the way that that guy did. Yeah. yeah. So that was very clear. And also, he would like. The, my favorite thing, I love when they do this with stunt doubles, and it especially shows when the characters are not wearing a lot of clothing. So Jesse Eisenberg stands up, and you see his tiny, emaciated, little child body. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and you know, and you see him from the waist up, essentially, but it's implied that he's naked. Then we turn around with a huge wide shot where you never see the face, and he's got about 20 pounds more of muscle on him as he climbs up that house. <laughs> as he Spider-Man's as up he that As he Spider-Man's way. up that house. But the other thing, and I only know this trick because somebody uh, that I know had to do one time on the set, was that he had to be naked and l- like climbing up or scurrying up something. And what you can't let happen is for your junk to okay, make an no, appearance between that the was my next question because yeah. i was like i i've never climbed anything nude before but i right. have a strong oh my god live a little jesus i know <laughs> you're so repressed i have a strong inclination that if i did you would totally see my dick and ball sack like hanging this out between is, my legs so this is what they do so you know a cock sock right when an yeah. actor has a nude suit. okay so you get a cock sock and then they sort of scoop much like the opposite of a drag queen they scoop up the the junk in the cock sock but forward <laughs> and then tape it against the lower part of the stuntman's belly so okay. that way he can be moving and Spider-Manning up, but nothing will make an, a, an unexpected appearance. There's no dangle. I There's love no how dangle. you're saying cocksock, but you're saying junk. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're saying cock. It's right there. <laughs> the thing is, like, I'm like, no, I'm not a prude. I can say dick and balls or whatever. But like, because if you just say cock, then you're leaving out the testicles. So it's like, okay, you have to like the junk just right. it, all encompassing. And let's be honest, you're more likely to see the balls on most guys. Look, can we just use technical terms here? Twigs oh. and berries. Oh, twigs and berries. Oh god, but that's what I disgusting. think is funny is that cocksock is like that's actually the name that is used in film. Like, is it a branded uh, Yeah, entity? like it's, it's just what everyone calls it. And, and you know, no matter how professional or even prudish of a set you're on, it's still referred to as a cock sock. Now, do you amazing. buy them in a bag that says cock sock or is it just like a pantyhose that, you, that people have? I, I can't say I've, I've purchased them <laughs> yet. However, that's a big yet because I have nude scenes in Demon Hunter 
and yeah. I'm going to have to provide cocksocks for my actors. So I'm literally going to have to talk to people and be like, hey, how does one go about acquiring a cocksock? When you find that out, yeah. let us know. I yes. shall. And do remember, Tim, that Christmas is coming. And, <laughs> you know, it's always nice to get a gift. So. Oh, well, there you go. Cocksocks for everyone. What are you going to use that for, Joe? Clearly, I'm going to scale buildings. <laughs> yes, just remember to take it up. <laughs> Canadian Naked Spider-Man. Here I come. Oh my god. Well, I'm not making money out this podcast, so I might as well, you know, try to make fame and fortune by doing... Cock-sucking, nude, scale, building scaling. Yeah. Okay, so, so who wants to play a game? Uh, wait, wait, do we want to have any final thoughts on Cursed? Like, your little, like, this is the final thought that I have on this movie? Oh, you mean for our Rotten Tomatoes entry on this? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Cursed is a failure... It is not a noble failure, just a straightforward failure. And yet, it is somehow highly watchable, nonetheless. Yeah. Judy Greer is the best part of this movie. And would that the rest of the film had the same energy she had. Production woes aside, it's still not a good film. But it is entertaining. And it's stupid. Yeah. I think it's a good lesson for aspiring filmmakers to watch because it's an example of a movie that is far less than the sum of its parts yeah Mm. and it's important to watch bad movies as much as it's important to watch good movies to see how filmmaking is done i like that that's that is very helpful (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome Uh, way to class up the joint tim (laughs) we're just like it movie stupid it's not good hi i'm trace i've never you know, I've never spelunked naked, but I would think that you would see my dick, so... Right. And he also never spread his legs too much that you saw his asshole, either. He was very, you know, Victorian lady in the way that he climbed up that... Uh, that oh, house. he was mm-hmm. clinching those cheeks hardcore. Yeah, he was pulling those together. <sighs> Again, nudity I didn't want from my cursed movie. <laughs> I mean, Jesse Eisenberg, you know... And yeah, I, you no. know what? Mm-hmm. I was into his hairstyle, like, whatever the hell, the hell was going on with his hair in this movie. What, the Justin Timberlake look? Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So let's go on to the game then. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, we're not talking about your Twinkie proclivities anymore. I know. He's much less attractive today. I liked him better when he was 20. Uh, oh, ageism. <laughs> you would fit right in in Hollywood. Yeah, okay. probably so. Yep. <laughs> okay. So our game for Cursed, considering the film's many casting changes, I would like you each to pick one actor that you will substitute out for someone new in order to make this a more enjoyable film. Please note the careful phrasing. I did not say a better film. A more enjoyable Because I one. don't think you could make a better film by swapping someone out, as evidenced by what we got. Okay. So it's basically swap somebody out for someone else. Oh, and tell me why. Good. That is a hard one. Oh, I wish I had gotten this ahead of time. I would have really thought about it, but I guess that defeats the purpose. I mean, you can reflect on it because we can edit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, don't, yeah. you don't have to, like, get it right now. I, I, I'm... Does that make any sense? I'm going to say cast Catherine O'Hara as Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, Catherine O'Hara as Ellie? <laughs> Can she do the Moira voice from Shit's Creek, yes. though? Uh, she's supposed Wait, to be... What's the, what's the line where she's... What's the line that Ellie says where it's, it's called life? What is it? Everyone's oh. supposed to call her. Wait, wait, wait. It is... Hold on. I'm pulling out my notes. I highlighted it. Um, everybody's cursed, Jimmy. It's called life. Everybody's cursed, David. It's called life. 
Now, which Moira wig would she be wearing when she delivered that line? <laughs> I think she would be doing that thing where she wears one wig and then wears another wig as a hat, which is my favorite <laughs> Moira look. Yes. That, yeah. But you don't explain the age gap. It's still Jesse Eisenberg. And then Catherine O'Hare is just his older sister. That would be incredible. Jimmy, our parents died in that car accident. <laughs> I can't even do it. It's terrible. I apologize to Catherine no, O'Hara. It is an unintelligible... Like, no one knows what she's doing in that, that show. Is, yeah, it's her and Tommy Wiseau, man. Like, nobody can tell what those accents are. Oh, there you go. Tom, oh, Tommy Wiseau oh, is no. Jimmy. Oh, no, I would say Tommy Jimmy. Wiseau as, um, as, as Pacey. Oh, God. Wouldn't that be great? Tie me apart, Ellie! Yeah. And also, he's probably a werewolf in real life anyway. So oh, I feel 100%. 100%. Yes. Yeah, like, that's the only explanation for that for that gentleman. <laughs> oh, can I tell you a funny Tommy Wiseau story? It's super fast. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, shit. Actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Uh, well, I'll say it and then I'll check and then... Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, I, this won't be in yet two weeks, okay. so if I, if we have to cut it out, just let me know. Okay, so, um, I live by a printing place, which is largely, you know, Hollywood largely prints, um, either headshots or scripts. Right. And my husband went in and he saw a bunch of, uh, printout copies of The Room script. And yeah. he was like, oh, that's weird. And the um, the guy that works there, he was like, oh, do you know that movie? And, and Rob, my husband, he's like, yeah, I know that movie, of course. And he's like, oh, yeah, the guy that made it, he comes in every month and prints out 300 copies. What? Isn't that weird? But apparently what he does, and actually this is really smart, I think he signs them. Because, you oh. know, like it's people mm-hmm. love that movie now. So he signs them and then mails them out and he probably gets like a ton of money so he's probably the smartest guy in hollywood but until i found that out i was like i just love the idea of him just like coming in and printing out 300 copies of the script for no reason other than he's insane oh my god i imagine him just going around to various starbucks and just like leaving copies of them out for people to read as they're getting their cappuccinos like this this script is brilliant i should hire tommy (laughs) Wiseau. So wait, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna re- recant that. I think Carrot Top would be the perfect uh, oh in this movie. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and I think Craig Kilborn should be replaced by John Stewart. Oh, see what I did? Oh, there. Wow, too right. soon. Too, too soon. soon. <laughs> oh, I'm just imagining Carrot Top like running across the ceiling with his claws <laughs> and his mop, like his mop head, just like hanging down. <gasps> that would be amazing. Oh dear. <laughs> All right, so I think we can wrap that up. Okay. My pick was Heath Ledger, but Oh, way. damn it. Sorry, Joe. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Wait, Heath for, Ledger? Wait, for is... which character? I, uh, so I took it a bit more seriously, and I tried to think of... Because I just find Joshua Jackson very forgettable in this role. Yep. I don't... He's never quite smoldered for me, so I didn't so, find his sex appeal very believable. Do you watch mm-hmm. The Affair? Because I've heard he's really good in that. I've seen the first season. Okay. I've never seen it, but I've heard he's good. I've seen him do good performances. Again, it's like with Christina Ricci. He just seemed tired filming this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think he's a bad actor or anything. So people don't need to, you know, jump up my cooch for that. But (laughs) Buy a girl a drink first. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my. God, buy me a cocksock first. No, so I I thought, okay, well, who's somebody who could do the sexy part, but also be slightly menacing? So I looked up actors who were hot in 2005, oh <laughs> and Heath Ledger, this was the year that he got nominated for Brokeback Mountain, and mm. he had not yet died, so... Because uh. I was like, oh, well, obviously I'm not going to play the game with a person who died that year, but no. Well, you should have done 2003, later, so. though, because that's I know. when it was filmed. I know. Yeah, I mean, I could have done anywhere between 2000 and 2005 for this fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> True. 
Okay, well, that will wrap up our conversation of Cursed. But before we announce what we're covering next week, Tim. Yes? Plug away. What do you want to talk about? I might have an idea what you want to talk about. What is this thing that you will talk about? I, yes. you're, it's, you're never going to see it coming. But I'm going <laughs> to talk about Demon Hunter. Shocker! And what is Demon Hunter, just in case people don't know? Okay, so Demon Hunter is a queer, diverse action horror comedy web series that I wrote and am directing. Uh, two of the episodes were written by a co-writer, and three of the episodes will be directed by uh, one of the other producers, Ali Rivera. It is a, uh, a web series that's a long time in the making, but it uh, basically has people from all different walks of life, all different sexualities, all different ethnicities, coming together to kill demons and then also have sex with them. And uh, if you would like to help us make this, uh, we're in production now. What you can do is go to our Seed and Spark page and follow us. So the way to do that is you make a quick Seed and Spark account. It's completely free. It takes five seconds. And then you click on the blue follow button. And boom, that actually helps us because it brings more awareness to our production. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Demon Hunter Show. And because we like to keep things interesting and difficult, you can find us on Instagram at Demon Hunter Series. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm Tim O'Leary online on all the social meds, as the kids call them. Ah, the kids. <laughs> the kids. Can you tell that was rehearsed? No, I was like, you had that written down, didn't you? Well, I, I didn't have it written down, but I just like went over it a bunch of times <laughs> in my head. <laughs> No, I do the same thing for the housekeeping that you're about to hear me spell off in a bit. It's true. Try to sound more excited about the part where people give us money, too. <laughs> well, I try to just get through it so we can get to what we're talking about next week. But uh, but no, that's, that's great. Um, and so, because I know when you reached out to me originally, I think you, you're... Um... It was Seed and Spark, which is... Right, so it's similar to Kickstarter in that it's an all-or-nothing platform. However, instead of having to get 100%, you just have to get 80%. Yeah, okay. um, and we were lucky. I think we ended up getting about 82%. So we raised $30,000. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, in 30 days. So we basically raised like $1,000 a day. And um, it's it was just really interesting. It's like as a gay nerd who's always loved like horror and comic books and action movies, I've always just wanted to see a gay action hero. And so far it still hasn't happened. I know it's happening with the Eternals now, but, you know, mm. but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And yeah, and I also wanted something that was not only with queer, you know, heroes that kick ass and kill demons and stuff. I also wanted it to not shy away from sexuality and I wanted it to be a steamy series. So it's basically like Buffy meets Queer as Folk. Nice. That's how I'm describing it. Yeah. I mean, I'd watch it. Thanks. <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> no, I will absolutely watch it. And I'll, I will say like our leads are fantastic actors and they're gorgeous. They're such good looking people. So it'll be Excellent. very fun for everybody to see. Do you have a, I mean, because I, y'all are filming now, right? Or y'all are like in pre-production? We are, we're actually um, going into production on the 27th, but what we're doing now is actually my favorite thing to do, which is all of our stunt fight coordination and all of the rehearsals. So we're just, I'm, it's just really fun getting to see everybody throw each other around and stuff. I've been yeah. seeing some of the videos you've been posting on Twitter and it's really funny. <laughs> oh God, could be good. Yeah, it's a blast. It's like, it's honestly just as like a stage combat nerd. That's like my favorite part of production is, is getting into the gym and throwing people around. <laughs> That sounds awesome. awesome, but make sure you keep all that footage in case a Weinstein needs to re-edit your series later, okay? <sighs> yeah, right. Well, you know, something tells me we might not be hearing from the Weinsteins for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's great. Thank you so much uh, for uh, for coming on, Tim, uh, and for letting us know about that, because I know I'm super excited for Demon Hunter, but <laughs> if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Trace Thurman. 
And I am at B still on my remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, be sure to use the hashtag horrorqueers in your tweets, or you can email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com, or you can go to our Facebook page and write stuff there. Sure. <laughs> it's open. People can. Dirty limericks or anything in particular you want Pretty to Pretty much. We don't really have much in terms of like content standards not really yeah. if people want to is that why you had me on oh yeah 100 if people want to film themselves scaffolding buildings in the nude yeah i mean as long as it doesn't flag any privacy standards so <laughs> um if you have two seconds please head over to itunes and leave us a rating or a review um if you want even more content oh here i'm sorry if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes <laughs> covering recent horror films like It Chapter 2, and uh, I think this week we're dropping our... Oh no, we're seeing it tonight, Joe. Oh, okay. We are recording it tonight, and we'll release it probably later this week, um, on th- Rob Zombie's 3 from Hell. So, um, that'll be... Something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> Could be anything. Joe, what are we covering next week? Okay, so our two months of camp rolls on. And Trace, uh, technically I'm already there visiting you, but for the purposes of the main feed, I'm going to be sticking around and we're going to go Texas Chainsaw Massacre hunting. Mm. But we're not going to do a good one. We're going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Bite your fucking tongue. (laughs) That movie... Is great. All I know is that it's got Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in it. So sure. I mean, it's it is camp. Yeah, yeah. it is camp. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. So listen to that. We'll actually uh, we'll actually still be at Fantastic Fest when that episode drops. So um, you'll still be here next week when uh, that happens. There we go. Okay. Yay! And uh, cool, awesome. Text Chance on Master Next Generation. Everyone, uh, we we will be discussing. Both the theatrical and the director's cut, I believe. I think um, some of us are watching one and... Well, our guests actually that episode watched both of them. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be fun. And uh, on that note, I think we can cross out Cursed. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.